and bienvenidos to the Beervana podcast. <laughs> Very nice. Yes, a word I did not use when I was in Mexico recently. I thought I, I thought long and hard about that one. <laughs> That's about ninety five percent of my of my Spanish. Yeah, my I, mine was sadly and sorely lacking. I, I know you know baño. That was like what I knew. It was yeah. terrible. Hola, Jeff. ¿Cómo estás? Estoy bien. ¿Estás bien? Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> okay. Uh, welcome to the Beer Abundant Podcast. With me, of course, is uh, Jeff Allworth, author of The Beer Bible and Cider Made Simple. Uh, and uh, you can find him blogging at Beervana. And with me is uh, Professor Patrick Emerson, uh, professor of economics at Oregon State University. Go Beeves. Go Beeves. Actually, the Beaver women are still alive in the NCAA tournament. I think oh, really? Playing. Yeah. Oh, good. good. And they, are they horribly called the Lady Beeves? Actually, I don't think they're called Lady Beavers. I think they're oh, just the Beavers. Good. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah, I don't like the Lady this and Lady that. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. <laughs> well, your introduction, by the way, says on this dreary late winter day, it actually, surprisingly... <laughs> I know. I wrote that yesterday as it was the, the clouds were just pouring gushers down onto the from the heavens. <laughs> so I expect that'll come back later. It's supposed to be terrible again today, but we have a rare we have a rare sun sighting in in Portland today. Yeah. Uh this is the morning after of course the terrible collapse of the Badger speaking of speaking of NCAA tournament. Well, I don't know if it was a collapse. It was a painful loss. Yeah. You got to take what you can get. But they were the eighth seed. They made it to the Sweet Sixteen. It's all they, good. They knocked off a number one seed. Knocked off a number one seed. They're they're going to go home with their heads high. Yeah, we'll we'll continue that discussion on our other podcast, March Madness today. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff and Patrick. Uh, no, so uh, you just got back from Mexico. Yes, uh, I was which in Mexico. Thus, the, the the tortured Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> which at least you can pull off. I didn't even have a tortured Spanish. Hey, I had two years of college. Oh, that's the some. That's this the remaining of the remains of my two years of college Spanish. Well, that's why you know what you're doing. I don't. Yeah, it was embarrassing. I hate to go to these countries um, that have easy languages to speak and not speak them and feel like a gross American. It is. It's, that, yeah. It is what it is. I can't help myself. So, where were you in Mexico? I was in uh, Ensenada, which uh-huh. is in Baja, California, about an hour and a half south of San Diego. Nice. On the Pacific side. Nice. Sunny, yeah. warm, beachy. Incorrect. Oh. I, I took my, my, uh, my, my shorts, my t-shirts, and my flip-flops, and it turns out they have this weird uh, climate thing that's exactly like San Francisco. So it's foggy and cold all the time. Really? Yeah. And so there I was with my one long sleeve shirt, wearing it around like a hobo for five days in a row, and everybody probably thought I was a weird guy but i only had my the one long sleeve shirt i wore from portland <laughs> and so this is wait a minute, this is a tourist location why then uh well it's probably fantastic when the, the heat really gets rolling okay then, you know you just had the it was march the foggy days oh yeah okay. i mean it, it got up to like 70 but uh, oh, that was just surprising 70. yeah oh, was, that'd be nice <laughs> it was very nice uh well that's cool um and uh what we're going to um, play for you today is uh, as an interview you did down there yeah with uh, an Ensenada brewer yeah I was down there for the Ensenada Beer Fest which is a really cool event mm-hmm. um, the, uh, the the fest itself it has, has, has three components the first component is the fest itself which happens on Saturday all the public invited they also have a uh, tasting competition so mm-hmm. brewers enter from all over Mexico um, and actually they come from all over Mexico so I got to taste Mexican beer from from outside of Baja, which was cool. And then they had for two days preceding the beer fest, a, um, technical conference. And that, that's what I was down there for to speak yeah. at this thing. And I was actually out of my depth cause they were mostly like P 
PhD scientist. Chemist. Doing, yeah, doing really <laughs> impressive stuff. And I, I felt like a real chump and, uh, with my... But all, but all working in the brewing industry? No, oh. no. A lot of them were working in fields uh, brewing adjacent. Like uh, there was this one really uh, nice guy named Sergio that I was hanging around with. And he is a, um, a researcher in aging. Hmm. And his, I tried to watch his presentation in Spanish, and I was watching, and you know, um, graph, 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 naked mole rat, graph, graph, graph <laughs> gibbon, graph, 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 like grasshopper. <laughs> I really was fascinated afterwards. I said, "What's up? What's up? Put what's us up? on this. <laughs> what's up with the naked roll mole rat? That really caught my eye. Apparently, they live much longer than regular rats. So, anyway, um, one of the things he's interested in is looking at yeast and yeast viability and how that will play out in beer. So, oh, drat! I was hoping he was looking at how beer makes you live longer. Ah, well, that could be. That could yeah. be. Yeah, you heard it here first. I saw John Palmer, the famous uh, uh, homebrew writer who wrote How to Brew uh, mm. down there, and he was 53 years old, and the man looked like he was 35. So I assume he's drinking a lot of beer, and there he looks go. great. So. Okay. <laughs> Scienti- that's scientifically proven. <laughs> right. <That's, laughs> quad erat demonstrandum. It is proven. Okay. Uh, cool. Well, uh, so um, your interview is with Enrique Estevez Vincent Ramirez. Something like that? Yep. That sounds right. <laughs> um, but he's not from Ensenada. No, he is from uh, Guadalajara. So ah, his brewery, nice. uh, Lobo, is down there. And um, they are making some really great beer. Uh, it was funny. When By the time I'd done the interview, he was he we talked about uh, an IPL that they do. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was really talking it down. And then at the fest, I had it. And he was explaining about how it was all all the things about it that he didn't like. And, and of course, it was really, really nice beer. So uh, yeah. That's always a good sign when a person thinks his really nice beer isn't up to snuff. Yeah, and so there are quite a few craft brewers now in, in Mexico. There are, this is a fascinating tale. Taro Molis uh, is a guy down there that I met, and mm-hmm. he has an app called Maltap, mm-hmm. which is a repository of all the different beers and breweries. And so he's been tracking this stuff. And he said uh, in 2014... There were fewer than 100 breweries in Mexico, mm-hmm. and there are now over 600. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I was going to say, the one thing uh, about at least the tourist spots is that that's usually a pretty good business model for tourist spots. Uh, brew pub, little brewery. Yeah. I mean, I think, so there, it turns out there's kind of like three areas. There's the Baja Peninsula, mm-hmm. which flows down from San Diego. They have San Diego to refer to. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a really key place mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then there are the uh, major area the major cities of uh, mexico city and guadalajara that mm-hmm. are also centers and yep. my sense is that they're producing different kinds of beer and you, you know guadalajara and and mexico city are extremely far from the united yes. states so they don't actually they're not really in the craft beer orbit from the united states they're not being they're they are being influenced but it's not a direct influence like it is from san diego where the people who are drinking the beer and making the beer in baja are actually going to san diego and tasting that beer yeah in mexico city you know the, their access to american craft beer is pretty limited well that was going to be my next question which is that <clears throat> my experience with craft beer in latin america is largely german influence because they're still uh, the major beer style still drunk there, the, mainly the German lagers and pilsners. And so, um, is that true of Mexico as well, or are they they big into 
IPAs. <laughs> I don't want to step on our interview with. Oh, uh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm uh, getting ahead. Well, no, it's okay. I asked that very question. Oh, excellent. About Enrique. So excellent. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll let have him it. answer that since he's more of an authority than I am. Okay. Well, we'll play that interview for you uh, soon. But uh, first, as always, um, let's do the news. Oh, yeah. All right, so on March 10th, Speakeasy's San Francisco... <laughs> yeah, you, you, you tried, man. You uh, tried was, to power through. Uh, uh, we, now, we, we are stepping up our we, game. We've, we, we've pimped up the, the pod. All right. We've, uh, always, we've always threatened to have music, and now we have it. And I'm sure the, the listener is very excited. I think the listener misses, misses my little... Okay, but maybe not. All right, so on March 10th, uh, Speakeasy, which is San Francisco's 20-year-old uh, brewery, announced that it had closed. Uh, Ten days later, however, the brewery announced that it had reopened and would be sold within 45 days. Yeah, I think it, what's going on there doesn't seem to be so clear, but they're, they're, they're definitely in trouble, and um, yeah. Now, they had recently made a big investment in a new brew house, right? Yeah, they, they expanded right at the moment, and we saw this in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, big expansion based on the uh, idea that you're going to have increased you know uh, double or triple digit increases year to year and then you don't have that and then you have a lot of leverage and you're in big trouble do you know where what part of san francisco it's located i don't you're the san franciscan that's true and i'm actually going down there tomorrow so um well bird dog that oh yeah exactly so i'll go find out (laughs) it's reopen we'll we'll find it uh i just mean that um you know real estate right oh my gosh that's so expensive uh it's it's tough to have a brewery takes a little bit of a space and and uh, doing it in San Francisco is tough. Yeah, totally. So I understand. Um, that's a tough. But it's interesting that they're going to open and then they've announced they're going to be sold. You think with so much tech money, you know, like, eh, you know, five, ten million, fine, no problem. Right. <laughs> my little hobby, my little, <laughs> my little homebrew operation. Yeah, that could be the case. I mean, as a business enterprise goes, these things are becoming less obviously rainmakers. So right. probably right. actual accountants are taking a look at ideas and maybe maybe deciding that, it's not such a great deal anymore. Uh, yeah. Well, good luck to them. I hope it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't die an untimely death. They're a pretty big brewery. They're one of the like top 100 largest breweries. So you know, it's a significant thing. People have been worried that we're in a bubble, and they look. I think at this with anxiety. I don't think we are. And you know, yeah. Well, as I've said many times, I don't think you can look at brewery closings and say it's the bubble bursting. It's just the the maturation of the industry, and yeah. um, it's becoming competitive, and you're going to see churn. So right. So another thing that I noticed on uh, Stan Hieronymus's blog, which was really fascinating to me, is that um, the we're starting to see hops being planted in other states. Mm-hmm. Um, he pointed out uh, the Midwest and Connecticut, and um, their typical varieties like Cas- Cascade and Chinook and Centennial, these kind of varieties that we know and love. Right. But when they're planted in these other places, they taste so different that they're unrecognizable. Um Apparently, in the Pacific Northwest, we get that much more piney, grapefruity thing, huh. and they're more fruity and tropical right. elsewhere. Um, and in Connecticut, they're they're even calling them, uh, starting the word out with C-O-N-N, like Connecticut, like Concade and Connook for Cascade and Chinook, to distinguish them. Um, less branding and more just like if you expect that your beer is going to taste a, a particular way based on the what you know about these hops, 
right. recognize that the terroir is so I was, about, I was just about to make the allusion to grapes, which is, you know, yeah. with the soil and climate differences, you're going to get different flavors, I suppose, out of the hops, uh, as you would grapes, perhaps. Yeah, it's exciting to me because I think, um, you know, local is something everybody's interested in. Yeah. And if you've got your local Michigan or your local Connecticut cascades and they taste radically different, that's it gives you a different kind of beer. It's yeah, cool. absolutely. Cool. And the last one? The last one is I want to point everybody to Lars Garshall, uh, who is a Scandinavian blogger, and he blogs at Lars Blog, which is Garshall, G-A-R-S-H-O-L dot P-R-I-V dot N-O. You can just look up, you can Google Lars Blog. I think that'll get you there. Um, Lars has been doing this amazing stuff about Scandinavian, and he's been doing this for years. He started out in the Baltics and Lithuania, and then he's now moved over to uh, Scandinavia, mm-hmm. looking at the farmhouse traditions in these these regions. Nice. And um, he is recently uh, in Sweden and looking at uh, the farmers are malting their own barley, and he's going to these farmhouse uh, malteries that are very interesting. And um, they have these boards that have holes drilled in them. They put the malt on and it gets all smoky. And then they make the, their farmhouse beer out of the smoky malt. And wow. It's really funky. Cool. Very, very cool stuff. And if anybody's a nerd and interested in um, obscure beer styles that are being brewed elsewhere, particularly ones that have a long lineage, you should definitely check out Lars' blog. Yeah. Well, let's put a let's put a link to that blog on the Beervana blog Facebook page. Yeah, I should do that. Good call. Oh, okay. So we'll, we'll we'll see that it gets done. Yeah. Hey, and uh, other kind of exciting news for the two of us, I suppose, is uh, um, we'd like to tell you that the Beervana podcast is once again sponsored by Guinness, makers of fine beer since 1759. Yes, Guinness has um, uh, decided again to sponsor the blog, and we're delighted to have them. Clearly, they saw like a big jump in sales when we yeah. when we started <laughs> yeah <laughs> we started sponsoring them absolutely uh, sponsoring us the, the listener bought a lot of uh guinness apparently and uh, really gave a bump in sales <laughs> <laughs> they saw that big jump in south africa from yeah, that's south right africa. our south african listener uh no that's really cool and in fact uh, you were in mexico for saint patrick's day that's right so Pan- saint patrick's day just happened and which uh, begs the question do, do they drink lots of Guinness in St. Patrick's Day in Mexico? Actually, you were you were in craft brewery, so yeah, I was. But I was in a I was in Norte Brewing in Tijuana, mm-hmm. which is one of the hip new breweries down there, uh, and I was really surprised to see it festooned in uh, uh, shamrocks, and it had a oh really? So they actually do yeah do the whole well. Is that for the tourists or is that for the, the locals? Well, it's always a little bit difficult to uh-huh. say in border towns, uh, and they did have a sign hanging down that said uh, Happy St. Patrick's Day. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It was what the fascinating thing about St. Patrick's Day is there's the original St. Patrick and the celebrations that happened in Ireland, and then there are the celebrations that happened with immigrants elsewhere. Right. So in the United States, we have the Irish American St. Patrick's Day, and now in Norte Brewing, at least, we saw the Irish American St. Patrick's Day migrating to Tijuana. So right. it was less. It was less the Irish tradition than the Irish American tradition. Yeah, I honestly have no idea what the holiday is like in Ireland itself. <laughs> All I know is that it's the uh, the expat American Irish version, uh, which is a lot of parading and drinking. Yeah, well, um, most of the bar listeners, I think, are are American, so they will know that so many of us identify as a, 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 a as Irish, at least in part. We can find some Irish ancestor um, and. 
Guinness is interesting in that they have connected themselves so strongly to this country that when you celebrate the country, you always have a Guinness. And, you know, it's uh, an interesting mm-hmm. kind of a way of connecting themselves. I think other breweries would love, love, love to figure out how to, like, be the the national emblem, the national brewing emblem of a particular tradition or something like Especially that. Especially on a giant holiday so closely associated with drinking lots of beer. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I was going to say Cinco de Mayo is sort of... It's, yeah. That's a little bit more contrived, but it's kind of the same idea with Mexican brewers in the United States. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's really close. But there isn't one no, it's, brewer. It's, it's, so you're right, actually, now I think about it. Guinness really has the the uh, the lock on that, on the Irish beer market, in, at least in the psyche of American consumers. Yeah, one interesting thing, and uh, well, I'll use this just as a little bit of a segue to our um, piece with Enrique, is that... Um, much as happened in the United States, uh, as people get interested in other uh, beer styles, stouts and lagers are pretty popular, or stouts and porters are pretty popular. And I think it's because you got pale beer, mm-hmm. pale lager, black ale. And in those circumstances, it is very often, it seems like Guinness acts as the, uh, the, the point of passage. You know, people will have a Guinness, which is... Um, close enough to what their palate expects that it's not a shock to the system that drives them away from this beer. That's a very good point. But it's a step in the direction. And um, so I think uh, this is actually probably an opportunity for Guinness in Mexico. I don't know if Guinness is in Mexico. And they must be. But um, it's like probably a really great opportunity. And also, you know, uh, in really hot places, as stouts go, it's probably a decent stout to be drinking. Yeah, uh, true story. The very first Guinness I ever had, I didn't realize what I was doing. I was just, I was brand new to to drinking beer other than really cheap, light lagers. Um, and uh, the first Guinness I got was the Export Extra Stout. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I... I uh, I was really proud of myself. I felt very sophisticated with my fucking, and I took a big slug and I'm like, whoa, overwhelming. And I had no idea that it was not the regular (laughs) Guinness draft. And Um, you probably thought, man, those Irish, they are like, yeah. I was like, how do you drink so much of this stuff? (laughs) (laughs) I don't get it. Those guys, they must be crazy. Uh, And then I realized much later that it was it was not the same stuff. Uh, Both are great, great beers, by the way. the other thing I was going to say about um, uh, the St. Patrick's Day, the Guinness uh, St. Patrick's Day thing is um, uh, it's interesting that in a country so associated with light lagers that, that Guinness is, is sort of synonymous with, from, for many consumers, is synonymous with the porter stout, the dark, the dark beer. Um, and, it's, and, and you're right that if they try that and then they start sort of venturing into other ones, they'll see they'll sort of, it's a nice introduction to a whole range of flavors that they might not be used to. So yeah. Anyway. Well, we are delighted to have Guinness back on board and, uh, we encourage everyone to enjoy a Guinness. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back Guinness. Thank you. All right. So, uh, why don't we get to the main event, um, which is your, uh, interview. We've talked a little bit about it. Anything more you want to say before we, we, we jump into it? No, I think we're good. Uh, you interviewed him where? I interviewed him. Um, the festival was held at the grounds, these cultural grounds in Ensenada. Mm-hmm. It was a really, uh, it's a cool, like, 100-year-old building that is, has really groovy architecture. And we were in a little bit of a provisional space. So there are, at some at certain moments, uh, people walking by and you can hear a little um, background noise. But for the most part, it's pretty good tape. So I think uh, that won't be too bothersome. Yeah, excellent. All right, well, here we go. 
All right, I'm here with Enrique. What's your last name? Enrique Aceves. And you are from the uh, Loba Brewery in Guadalajara. Guadalajara, okay. Uh, we are here to discuss Mexican beer and learn a little bit about um, our country, our neighbor to the south, uh, about which most of us don't really know all that much. So um, I'm excited to have Enrique here. I met him last night at a, at a pub opening, and uh, he seems, he, he, for one thing, he had a fantastic beer, so that's a good place to start. Yeah. This wonderful wit beer. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, so I immediately trusted him, and uh, when we got talking, it seemed like he might be able to shed some uh, insight into Mexican beer. So let, let's get started. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Loba? Okay. Uh, Loba Brewery was uh, founded like uh, five or four years ago. Uh, we were a very small company. Uh, it was founded by uh, three brothers. Their, their last names are called Lopez Barba, and if you put the first two letters of the names, of the, of the last names, they're called Loba. And they thought it was a cool name, so they, they matched it with a Loba, which it means a female wolf. And uh, the brand started to grow up from there. It was a very small, a very small brewery. Uh, they didn't make even like 10 or 15 liters per month. It was all about friends, family, you know, parties. Uh, but after that, they start to grow a little bit, step by step, and uh, a lot of uh, partners came to help the brewery. Uh, I came along with those partners, and we start to grow. And then we bought a small brew house, about uh, five BBLs, mm -hmm. and we start working from there. Making the the main goal was making a proper beer, a very good quality beer, because in, in our native city, Guadalajara, uh, the beer was. Uh, something very small, nobody really make craft beard. And they, the ones who make craft beard, they were very small and very home brewers and all about themselves. So we want to make that, break that barrier, you know, make a, uh, a little bit step forward in that, are, in that area. So we start to grow, we start to make quality beers. We met a lot of people, interesting people. And we mainly have the desire to make of originally good European style beers and after uh, a little bit of the, of the years, the past of the years, we realized that in the US they were making a lot of experimental and a lot of new styles of beers so we decided to look the north, look up the north and we were very like uh, delighted of ever, almost everything they were making so we started to make other kind of beers and we started to grow up from there and the rest it's like you say, history, because we won uh, almost like five or six awards in three years, and we were very proud of that, and that brought us a lot of uh, businessmen and a lot of uh, investment. So we grow from the five BBL uh, system to our 20 BBL system. Uh, so it was like a huge, huge step for us, and we were very proud. So we're like basically focus on that and that and, and growing and learn our, our equipment because it's very new for us we don't we only have a year with that equipment oh okay so it's, it's a new system it's a new system yeah it's a new system for us so tell me a little bit you're, you're the brewer right i'm the brewer yeah yeah so tell me how you how do you learn how to brew uh work you know well, when you're trying to figure this stuff out okay well uh, i used to work in bars and 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 uh, in europe and I was fascinated about all about the, the spirit drinks and the beard and all those kind of things. So I was very interested in learn how to make it. So I bought a lot of books, uh, a lot of uh, you know 
uh, internet pages, everything that they could tell me or show me how to make beer. So I started very small, but I was like very a uh, noob, you could say, right? And about that, that time, I, I was in contact with one guy from Minerva, which is called Abraham Espadas. Abraham Espadas is uh, the first and still one of the brewers in Loba, in, in the Loba brewery. And he was a very good brewery. He's, uh, he worked in Cervecera Minerva Brewery a long time, so he knew a lot about the brewery. And Minerva is the big... Craft Minerva is the big craft brewery in, in Jalisco, in Guadalajara, Jalisco. They're like, they're, we, are, we have good relationships with them, and they were like the pioneers in craft brewing there. But they were, they're a lot bigger than us, <laughs> and they have more time, and they have like 10 or 12 years doing beers. So they're the, they the main goal in, of Guadalajara. But we have good relationships with them, and Abraham uh, come, uh, came to work with Loba, and I came with him, and he showed me almost everything I know, and he showed me almost everything we make in Loba. And I start like just for watching, 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 and then I start to brew. And then at one point I was brewing alone. <laughs> and then I was listening to, I don't know, conference, people from the US asking questions, you know, mainly by, by myself I learned, but he was the main, like the main most, the teacher I had. Yeah, that's, uh, you, you know, when we, in the United States, when people started brewing, they didn't know how to brew either, and they, yeah. had, they had to learn on the fly. So another big challenge uh, people in the United States had when the when industry was getting started was it was not geared towards small producers. So finding uh, small equipment, small, small amounts of hops, small amounts of malt, all that stuff was a real challenge. When you guys got started, was, the, you know, where do you get, where do you, where do you get your equipment from? Well, where do you get your? It was it was a huge challenge, and I think it was a huge challenge for every kind of brewer in that at that time. Like five years ago, uh, buying a good quality equipment it was impossible, because you have to bring bring it from the United States of Canada, and it was way too expensive, because there was not the culture of the people who brought it. You know, that, that, that that doesn't exist at that time. So we bought the 5 BBL system from uh, tequila, tequila <laughs> ex-tequila uh, factory. Uh, so we bought it and we make some moths from uh, in, in that equipment. It's very funny. It's like a Frankenstein. <laughs> so, and then uh, there's a lot of uh, milk equipment in, in heating in Guadalajara and in Jalisco and in Mexico also. So you can use a lot of uh, milk equipment for the brewery because it's like stainless steel, good quality product. So we start to build the, the brewery, the small brewery from that part. So one from this, one from there, tequila, milk. And then we make a, <laughs> we make a Frankenstein brewery. And it was, you could say it was efficient because if you start reading and you, and you I don't know, you cultivate yourself, you, you, you can make a good equipment with small things and you can make a good beard because if you have the passion you can make everything good and that's how we started and about the the product i mean the, the hops the malt everything it was way too hard too because nobody brought malt or hop or almost anything so we there's only one one uh, uh producer not, he's not a producer he, he brings everything everything from the united states and he was the main, the main point. All the brewers went there to buy the things. So we went with with him, and we 
have a little chat and we and he's like yeah i could i could give you like small amounts of small small amounts of hop but it was very hard and it's it was very quite expensive because you know when you bought a small and you only buy from one guy because that only guy has the main the main product it's a little bit expensive but after the years people start to get very interested in brewing and having all this kind of uh, micro home brewer big breweries so the the market start to grow and people start to ask for more for more for more and then a lot of people start to bring the malts bring the hops everything you could use at, at that time so nowadays you can find a lot of um, much more things to buy to make a brewer uh, that a long time ago like four years ago it was almost impossible but nowadays you can have more things but we're still limited because we don't have in Mexico, there's no hop uh, farms, so we have to buy it from the United States or Europe. So it's we have still some walls in there to to, to climb, but uh, we're going there. We're going there. I think we step by step, Mexico it's going from in a good way, in a good right. And that, uh, as my partner Patrick would always points out when you have a market develop then you have uh, supply and demand and yeah, yeah and then... exactly when we, we we're asking the supplies and we're demanding a lot <laughs> so it's i think we're growing very very good uh like i said every, the guys who have have it like the easy way or the who have the main development about the birds are the guys from the north in here in ensenada tijuana all the border cities who are interested in brewer in brewing uh, they have uh, a lot, uh, uh, I don't know, they're, it's very easy for them to go to the United States, buy some things and bring it here and make uh, to Mexico. So for them it's way easier than for us, like Guadalajara, Jalisco, it's in the center west uh, from the, in the country. So it's, for us we have to pay a lot to bring, like, I don't know, something for Breeze or something from uh, Hop Farm in the north. It's a little bit more complicated so the guys from the north have like a little bit more they cheat in that way <laughs> but they get they make good quality beers so i'm very proud of that too yeah let's talk a little bit about that um what i've gathered is that there is a kind of there just like in the united states there are different regions that have become kind of leaders in the in the market, in the market of the, of the brewery, you know? tell us who, uh, who those are and and what that looks like well uh, here in mexico i'm pretty quite sure that uh, mm, the north of mexico the tijuana uh, ensenada the northwest region they have a lot of brewings uh, the brewer uh, yeah, brewings and they have uh, a lot of uh, culture about making the beer because they mainly watch the, the people of the United States they watch the north and they say like oh they're doing fine things and not everything it's Corona and, and, and <laughs> Tecate and Dos Equis you could do something something different so when you watch your neighbor do a lot of things very well and about good, very good quality you start to to want to do something very similar because you don't want to be stuck all the day, all all the years and all your life in the same kind of beard or same kind of thing, you know. So they start to develop very fast because they watch and they brought birth a lot of things from the United States, from the north. So and then the main, the big cities of Mexico, which are Monterrey, is in the north. Uh, Ciudad de México, which is the capital, and Guadalajara, which is the, my, my city. They are the big cities in, in Mexico. There are a lot of population in there, and they have 
a little bit more infrastructure and and I don't know they 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 mainly they build faster than other cities in Mexico. Uh, so we start to watch the people in the north, especially especially here in, in Ensenada in the northwest region, and we decided to do something like them because we really like the, the kind of beer they were making, and. In the world, you know, there, there was this, this explosion, like in the last 20 years, that craft brewing is a, way better than industrial beer. So we started to grow, not as fast as the people in the north, but we step by step, crawling maybe, but do something very similar. And especially uh, Guadalajara, uh, Jalisco, and uh, Mexico City, we start to grow very fast. Uh, we want to make uh, different type types of beard, different types of styles. You know everything about the beard. So these like three regions, which is uh, middle west and center, the center of the Mexico and the north, they are the strongest regions about beer and you know, craft beer industry. Let's. That makes me wonder uh, two things. One is, do these regions, are they interested in the same kind of beer? Are they making the same kinds of beer? And uh, also, what are the main influences? Where are they drawing their influences from? Is it the United States or Europe? or? Okay, well, the, the, the main, the main uh, pe people in Mexico, they, they lose their mind, and still they lose their mind, when they, they try stouts or black beards. Black beards, because in Mexico, a black beard was... In like for ten years, it was like nobody knew what that water was. They, if you brought a Guinness in Mexico like ten years ago, everyone will blow your mind. Like, like what the hell is that? <laughs> what, what is that beer? Because why is so black? Why it tastes smoke? Why it is so heavy to to drink? So people in Mexico, especially in the center region, mm. they when they knew about porter or stout or black types of beer, they they freak out. They they wanted to make that kind of beer because they, it was so new. It was not like nothing they, they were tasted before. Because here it's, it used to be main about lagers. Maybe a black lager, but you know Negra Modelo. It's it's not a black lager. It's it's a very brown lager. So it's nothing like a stout on on old meat style stout. So. When we watch, when we saw the the black beards, everyone want to make one black beard. So if you maybe if you start to watch all the beards, the beard styles in the in the breweries in the central region of Mexico, you will see everyone has a stout. Mm. So mainly from there they start to work, and they start to see a lot of black beer came from uh, England and Ireland, and maybe some parts from Europe. So they focus their attention in there. But later they find out that in the United States they were making a lot of black beer too, every kind of stout or porter, uh, with different types of things, you know, uh, more experimental, more new. So at the beginning I think Mexico was very much influenced by the European market of beers because they were very new for us. But after that, I mean like two years after that, People started to realize that the United States was having like the flagship in there. We are making beards, like different kinds of beards. We want to create some things new. So we were amazed about that too. So when we watched the the United States 
made all those kinds of beers. We wanted to make that kind of things too. So when the United States have the big, this big explosion about IPAs, we make we try to do the same thing because well, IPAs are the new thing, right? Yeah. So we start to make like hoppy things, hoppy things. But we were very, we are. I think we're still are uh, like not very much uh, developed in that area of hoppy. Uh, controlling the hops in the beard because it's, it's you know it's sensitive if you use too much hop you're gonna screw the beer so we are still learning about how to make the gr a good good IPA we make good IPA so um, in, in our case we make an Indian pay lager so it's a good beer but I think we can we can evolve a little bit more from what we are now so these dark beers you're doing in the United States, um, as I'm sure you know, a uh, really common thing is to put them into bourbon barrels. Yeah. The yeah. United States, of course, our, our native uh, liquor yeah. is bourbon. Yeah, bourbon yeah. Well, you guys have tequila and mezcal. Yeah. Are you, are you doing some barrel aging that is a little different than the United States? Well, uh, uh, putting the beer in, in barrels, it was uh, not very common until like five years ago. Okay. Five years ago, people start to notice that... It, People in the U.S. or Europe can do that, put it in barrels. We can do it too. But the native thing, it's mezcal or tequila. And uh, working with that, those cars, those, those barrels, uh, they're not, we're, we're very noobs in that area. So we start to make some beards in, that, in those kinds of, of barrels. And uh, some are very positive, some are not <laughs> very positive, some in a very negative way. But... We're, we're still trying to do good uh, barrel aging beers and um, of course mainly tequila and, and, and uh, mezcal are the main, the main barrels we use. But we also like to use some uh, whiskey or bourbon and we also like to use wine because they, here, especially in the north, in the west north region, they have a lot of wine uh, market. So they have a lot of, uh, this, of these barrels and we, you can use them, you just have to know how, how to work with them. So we, in, especially in our case, Loba, we bought uh, five of these barrels, of these wine barrels, uh, red wine, and we are trying to make new, not new styles, but aging some of our beers in those in those uh, barrels especially the porter like you said the black beers are the the i don't know it's like the the favorite son of everyone in mexico so we were trying to make some experiments with that but we're still uh, in very young aging to do to do this so we're growing we're making some experiments and i think like in one year especially us loba brewery we will have some decent quality beer with aging in a uh, just for the folks who are listening, I know uh, when you talk about experimental beers, what you're talking about, um, but I want to just make that explicit. Uh, Mexican breweries are in, interested in using uh, other ingredients and putting them in different kinds of uh, uh, beers. Is, is that is that a, a big part of the experimentation that you're talking about? Yeah, because uh, like I told you, uh, since after the big IPA uh, revolution, uh, the sour came along and especially here in the north uh, they they really adapted this this sour beard uh, because it's also very experimental experimental and then mexican people realized that we have a lot of native ingredients who are matchable with the beard so we are very proud that we have these ingredients but we really don't know how to use them so we are starting to experiment like you like people in the United States and when people from the United States brewers from the United States come to Mexico and they say like dude you have 
a lot of ingredients. You should, you should use all the ingredients you can to make a good quality beer. We realized that that's true, but yeah. we were so blind because we were <laughs> trying to follow some maybe IPA or some porter that sometimes you just cannot see what's in front of you. So this is kind of the, like you said, we really like to experiment and we start to use a lot of native ingredients. Uh, in our case, we make a, uh, recently, like two, like five months ago, we make a goza with uh, guava and uh, uh, I don't know what it's called in English, but here is uh, it's called tuna, tuna, not like the fish. It's the the main flower of the uh, nopal, which is like um, cact like a cactus here in Mexico. Uh, it's very red, and when we make it, it when we put it in the beer, it was uh, it, it turned to pink, a pink beer. So we call it Pink Dream. And it's a very interesting beer because it has a lot of flavors uh, with a little bit of salt from the, from one lake in Portland. And it's a very good experimental beer. We won an award with that, a silver mm. award with that too, in fact. Uh, so we're very proud of that. And that thing makes us realize we can use a lot of other ingredients to our beers, sour or not, but we, we can use them. And a lot of people in Mexico, they, they're making that kind of decisions too, especially here in the north. They see like, oh, we have this kind of fruit and this have vegetable, maybe we can use them. We have tons of uh, kind of chiles, so mm -hmm. we can make, use them a lot. Some are very risky to make because they're very, <laughs> very spicy, but some of them, they're not spicy at all. So you can use them. And we start to making these experimental beers. And we realized that we can match some of the beers around the world with all ingredients. And we're very proud of that. So we're step by step, we're evolving, we're growing in this uh, craft brewery industry. And yeah. we're very proud of that. Uh, so far, I haven't had a chance to try uh, anywhere near a, a representative sample of Mexican beer, but that has been my experience too. Um, that the the flavors that you have here are definitely an interesting palette for you to work with. Yeah, yeah. It's so if I don't talk about the business end, Patrick will consider it a great crime. So we, we should talk a little bit about um, uh, what's the market like here? We know that uh, in the United States, we, don't, we, we know that um, Mexican beer means Corona, Pacifico, yeah, yeah. Tecate. And there are, I think there's like two big, is it two, two big companies that control all the, of those brands? Yeah. So uh, is it easy for you to get to market or do these companies control the market um, how like what how easy is it for you to sell your beer well uh, like I say uh, five or ten years ago craft brewing was nothing in, in Mexico so uh, when the craft brewing the craft brewers started to grow in Mexico uh, ten years ago uh, they were for the big companies which is uh, Grupo Modelo and Gautemoc Moctezuma they were nothing, they were no concern. But when we start to steal the market from some uh, specific customer, some specific uh, regions, they start to see us like a threat because here in, in life and in the world is business. Business is everything, you know. Yeah. So they, see, they used to so well, they see us like a threat. Uh, I don't know if the United States is like that. But uh, there's they have so much control about in the market in, and especially in some places they it was really hard to us like uh, craft brewers to put ourselves in the market mm -hmm. to put ourselves in certain, like i don't know in a restaurant in a bar because 
these uh, big companies they they like to play dirty sometimes and they say like okay you could if you want to i'm saying just like this is an example if i'm Kotel moctezuma or grupo modelo and you're a craft brewer and you want to sell a beer in a restaurant or Grupo Modelo will say, oh, you can sell it, yeah, it's all right, but I'll, I'm going to take all the things and the things I'll give it to you, which are um, uh, freezers, uh, I don't know, uh, everything kind of support they give to the restaurant, uh, they took it away. Like, if I sell you the beer, like, uh, one dollar the, the bottle I'm gonna sell it to you like 150 the, the bottle because because you're selling other types of beer so I, I don't like that so if you want to sell the other types of beer we're gonna do that if you don't want to sell them okay I'm gonna sell the, the bottle to one one uh, dollar to you so that's been plain awful and we have to face this every day but uh, the good thing is the the recovery like wave started uh, came to to stay so we're getting bigger and we're getting bigger and bigger and i don't think it will stop i think we're gonna grow a lot more almost like in the united states and they realize they cannot really compete with this type of beer because it's way different the beer the industrial beer they make to the beer craft brewers make so yeah it was very difficult and it's still difficult because they do control several regions the south the south if we're talking about war they're, they're they control it <laughs> the craft brewers in the south have very a very hard time because uh people in the south they believe that beer is corona beer is uh, modelo they, they don't they don't believe in anything else so we have to fight this war every day and i said like this is a, a new product this is a mexican product we make it with our hands and it's uh, we're small but it's very good could you try it taste it it's very different it's another type of experience uh, and Grupo Modelo and the big companies they they want to <laughs> stay in the old the old ways you know they're like no 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 our beer is very cheap our beer is in everywhere because, because that's one of the main things you have to compete with Cuauhtémoc, uh, Moctezuma, Grupo Modelo, Corona they're everywhere right. and craft brewers they're not everywhere in here in Mexico does that mean that so like if if, if, if you're interested in craft beer uh, and you go to a city let's say and, and you want to try the craft beer does that mean you have to like there's craft beer bars that are more likely to be in rather than like a regular restaurant. Yeah, yeah. The, the, you you have to go to specific places and a specific bars. Nowadays, there are especially in the big cities like Mexico City, Guadalajara, and here in, in Ensenada or Monterrey, you can find craft brewers in a lot of places because they're more developed. They're more uh, the culture has embraced this uh, craft beer industry way more than other places but in the small cities or all the kind of cities that they're not that uh, developed uh, in craft brewing they you have to go to specific places which they sell in uh, export import and uh, craft brewing thing mm -hmm. so if you go to a restaurant it would probably you won't, wouldn't find uh, a craft brewery you will find the main the, the main uh, lines like to the big groups in there called demo corona so yeah it's it's not easy if you go to a small place if you go to a big city or the like the regions i just talked to they're gonna have some craft breweries and not a, and not all because you know like there are big craft breweries big and <laughs> not not very big <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like minerva which is the big one from jalisco or here uh, in the north there are 
Kukapa, there, uh, Wenland. Those, those, they have a very good, na- very big name in the craft brewery world. But yeah, you you won't find one of those in I don't know the south of Mexico or the east of Mexico. They, they there's they're 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 not there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's growing though. So yeah, you're talking about something that's so young. If it's already taken off it seems like the future is probably pretty bright yeah we, we mainly our main goal is is grow a little, way more than we are today and we think we have a bright future in, in the craft brewing world in mexico at least uh we also have you you say it uh, earlier uh taxes and this the government play way yeah talk about that because the the big companies they also have you know they have good agreements with governments so we crabbers have a uphill fight in that department because we have to pay almost twice as taxes that a regular beard a regular big industrial beard so it's and it's, and what's beer taxed on why why do you pay twice what? as much like how's the taxing work? because uh the people in in the, the big brewers uh they pay uh for the quantity of the of the what they are making, and because they produce their own bottles and they produce their own malt, they really don't pay the taxes like us for buying the malt from another place because that adds some tax to the to the to the process. And the bottle from another place it, it adds a tax to the places. And because we produce we don't produce um, we don't have a mass production uh, line, uh, we have to pay. It's basically it's almost the same, but for the big brewer, it's almost nothing because they produce so much and they sell so much, they really don't care. And we produce so li- so so small amount of beer that we we resent that you know in way higher than the big ones. So basically, we're paying almost twice of what the big company is making, especially because we have to buy everything from separate. We don't really really don't have that kind of develop. Call it uh, a market from malt or half or bottles because almost all the bottle uh, modelo grupo modelo buys it. Right, right. <laughs> That's right. one of the main problems we have too. So if I go into a pub uh, or a restaurant and I order uh, a loba with beer, yeah, uh, what's the price of that? And then what's what if I go to another place and I order a Corona? What's the price of that? Oh yeah, it's gonna be way different because here in Mexico uh, they. Which it's a little bit uh, good for us because we we target or we we branded the mark the craft breweries like uh, premium mm-hmm. uh, uh, a premium kind of beer a premium kind of product so the we bought it we sell it expensive in a certain way so in maybe in U.S. dollars it will be like two fifty to three dollars the bottle. Okay. Uh, but a, a Corona or uh, uh, another industrial beard will cost uh, uh, 60, 69, 70 cents of dollar or one dollar maybe. So <clears throat> they they were they are way cheaper than than, than ours. Uh, we are way expensive, like almost twice as expensive or third time, three times expensive than than a regular beard. Yeah, that's that is going to be a challenge. Um, uh, and I've heard that you guys have a brewers organization and you're trying to lobby. Is that right? Yeah, we, we recently, like, uh, I think it's only three years old, but I really don't know how much old is it. But we have that brewers association. So this brewing association, it's 
they, it puts together all the main heads of the big brewer, the craft breweries in Mexico. And we're really fighting. We, we want to make the things fair or more fair to, towards the craft brewers against the industrial brewers. So, which is the price of the bottles, the, the taxes that we're paying, uh, everything of that kind of uh, uh, themes, we, they see it and they, try, they are fighting all the day, all, all day, 24-7, to make a more fair uh, market, you know, like market war to, between us and the industrial beards of industrial uh, brands. And yeah, it's it's they 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 don't control the craft brew uh, thing, you know, but they do have a very important play and they do have a very important role in Mexican craft brewing system. And they they have good feeling, you know. They have uh, they really wish well and they really wish a good future for, future for the craft brewing. Well, I think that's all I have. Uh, is there any other thing that you would like to? that I didn't ask that would inform American Americans about uh, Mexican craft beer? Well, no, not really. Uh, you should try almost every Mexican craft beer <laughs> you, you, we have. Uh, so you can know that we have a good quality products and we're developing very fast and we're using uh, native ingredients so, so we can make a different kinds of beer. And I think you will find it very interesting because I think everyone in the world has something different about beard and they uphold something different in the region. So I think if you try it, you're going to love it. And maybe we could, I don't know, tear some walls and try a lot of kinds of beers because we love beers from the United States. I can say, I can say that to you. And I don't know. I, I think that's only the only thing i can say about very cool yeah i'm with you we should tear tear down some walls and, <laughs> yeah, like share a beer it's yeah, a good yeah. thing share a beer because <laughs> beer is amazing you know and if we make it and you make it i think we're, we're like very very far from other people's thoughts on <laughs> <laughs> excellent well yeah. thank you so much no no thank you to, thanks to you all right wow very interesting good job jeff Thank you. Yeah, uh, all, all credit to Enrique, of course. <laughs> he did the heavy lifting there. Uh, one thing he said, I'll jump, of course, on the, the business side of the stuff. Uh, one thing he said that rang true in my experience in Brazil is that um, the big macro light lager manufacturers um, sell at a really low price point. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, craft brew, craft beer manufacturers can't even get anywhere close. Um, so it's not it's not nearly as close as in the United States, and maybe part of that's taxes, and part of that's just economies of scale. Um, and the other part might also be uh, the you know the, the the economies in the distribution networks, and also the the exclusivity in the distribution networks that I found in Brazil as well. Yeah, I there's something to do with taxes there, and I kept asking people, and they kept saying yeah, we pay two to three times as much tax uh, per barrel of beer we produce. And it was not, I, I, I couldn't, I need to talk to somebody who knows public policy because the brewers weren't giving me enough detail to really understand why that was. Yeah, I mean, part of it, I, mean, I suppose if, I don't know tax law in Mexico, but uh, <laughs> if there's a value-added tax on finished goods, so then one thing he said that makes sense is that they have to buy their bottles on a, uh, and buy their malt and buy their ingredients where the big brewers uh, manufacture that themselves. And so they probably avoid those finished good taxes that way. But it still surprises me that it would add up to so much, um, two to three times more. So there must be something else there. I couldn't quite get his point about the the tax that they um, pay sort of at the brew house. Yeah. 
So. I didn't. I didn't either. There's a chance that I'm going to get to go back to Mexico this November. Nice. Uh, and if that happens, I will continue to investigate that. There's one other thing I would like to point out before we move on mm-hmm. uh, about Mexican beer, which I think is really important to understand the whole thing. It was kind of mystifying to me that, um, given the proximity, especially in Baja, between like Tijuana and and uh, San Diego, right. which is basically their only divided by sister city yeah yeah they're, they're basically one big town divided by an international border right um why didn't you know why didn't mexican craft beer get going a long long time ago and one thing i found out is there's a really big law that was passed in 2013 that mm-hmm. that opened up the market for mexican craft brewers that um it was the two big companies had a virtual lock before that um there's a mexican regulatory agency that in 2013 um stepped in uh, and stopped the two big companies who before that time had exclusivity agreements with restaurants, bars, and grocery stores right. uh, throughout the country. And they wouldn't allow anybody to uh, anybody else to sell at those those outlets, which was basically the entire country. Um, uh, in, so in, so in 2013, that agency said they had to limit that practice to 25% of the points of sale. Yeah. So that opened up the market. That's cool. And you touched on that with him when you asked him if you have to go looking at for special, it's looking for the beer in special places, special pubs. And that's certainly true with my experience in Brazil. Uh, most restaurants and bars um, are tied to a particular brewery like Brahma or Antarctica or something. Uh, and so if you want Brazilian craft beer, you have to look hard for it. You really have to seek it out. Um, you can you can get it in most grocery stores now. Well, well the the um, the sort of higher end grocery stores, you can they usually they have a pretty good selection now. And I don't know if that's true in Mexico. But let me ask you: you had a chance to taste a bunch of Mexican beer. What's what? What was your experience? What what kinds of styles are they making? And uh, what was the? Did you taste any sort of local flavors and? Yeah, interesting stuff. They're making uh, uh, people like you and me who are mm-hmm. old will remember uh, the '80s and early '90s that um, the like if you go into a brew pub, you'd find a pale ale, an amber, mm-hmm. uh, a wheat ear, wheat beer, and a porter or a stout. Right. Uh, you would not find an IPA. That's really typical right now for for a lot of what I'm seeing there. Brown ales, brown mm-hmm. ales. I had a brown ale um, at the fest that was a really exceptional brown ale. I mm-hmm. loved it. You you know you could go to a lot of pubs in Portland before you ever see a brown ale. Yeah, there. but they're doing a lot of ales then, a lot of British style. They're doing a lot of ales, which is also typical uh-huh. uh, for startups. You yep. expect them to. It's a lot cheaper to do that. Yes. What I was surprised at is they they are doing more lagers than Americans did at a similar phase. Yeah. So you you found those, and then actually um, when we do the sh- get to Sherpa here in a moment, I'm going to give my 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 standout beer of my my trip down there, and it is a lager. Yeah. Um, but they are experimenting. I, I tried Berliner Weisses. I tried um, a, a range of IPAs and I, you know, hoppy American style ales. Right. Um, I had one Brett beer uh, from a brewery called Fauna from uh, Mexicali. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was quite nice. And you know they're branching out and and starting to do some interesting stuff. There was a, there's a, a brewery called the Canaria there in Ensenada, mm-hmm. and um, they had a saison. So Ensenada water is really really uh, very hard and very salty. It actually even tastes a little salty. It's right. got all these different kinds of salts, including probably a little sodium chloride because it even tastes salty. <laughs> and Paco, um, the brewer there, used two strains of uh, saison yeast to give it a, some yeast character, but he also brewed with that water straight. 
because he wanted it to have mm. a local flavor and it has a ton of local flavor and it really worked well with huh. those yeast strains and I thought it was a very interesting beer. Nice. Um, so I, I, I thought that was another standout. Cool. Cool. All right. Well. Uh, and that Loba beer, that, that wood beer that they made, which had um, uh, kind of interesting ingredients. It had lemongrass and one kind of fruit and something else and it was really well balanced and um, dry, a little bit tart, very nice beer. Nice. So, yeah, I, I, I had exciting. a number, way more better beers than I expected. Um, if you compare, if you go back to, if we were to teleport ourselves back to 1990 and taste the beers that Americans were brewing and compare those at a similar stage had, in yeah, there, yeah. <laughs> Mexicans are off the charts better than we are. Awesome, awesome, yeah. great. Well, I'll have to go searching for it next time in Mexico. All right, well, uh, let's switch gears a little bit and uh, yeah. get to our beer tasting because I'm still, I still haven't. Tasted this. So why don't you explain what we've done here? What we have in front of us are uh, uh, our own homebrew, mm-hmm. but uh, for a purpose. Um, I was sent uh, a product called a lupulin powder from Yakima Chief, mm-hmm. which is a new product that is not quite on the market, or if it's on the market, it actually may be on the market now. It's um, They sent it to me just a little bit in advance of um, their release, and it's uh, available to both commercial and home brewers. It's called a lupulin powder. Uh, which is a purified concentration of the resin compounds and aromatic oils in whole hop flowers. Hmm. And I looked at it. You didn't. I, I dry hopped with these at, at the house, and you weren't there, so you didn't actually get to see these. Right. But they're. Um, uh, it's like it is like a powder, but it's like a kind of yellow powder, yellow green mm-hmm. powder, and it seems like it's the lupulin sacks almost. Right. Um, like so, what you what you what you find when you break open a. Yeah. A hop and and inside there's the powdery sort of um, pollenies kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. So what I did was I split the batch of beer uh-huh. in half, uh, put half of it in one of your kegs and half of it in one of my kegs, and I put. So they sent us Simcoe. Yeah, I was about to ask. So the lupulin powder was Simcoe. Simcoe. Okay. But and they gave us two ounces. I put two ounces in one and two ounces of regular Simcoe in the other okay. for dry hopping. All right. And uh, we have those beers in front of us. I have labeled them one and two. Uh, you put me on the spot. I put you on the spot. <laughs> this, is, this is not um, to guess which one, but to see if you see any differences, to see what the character is. And I, yeah. rather than give you, rather than plant in your mind the seed of knowing which one was which, I thought it would be interesting to have you taste yeah. that. So both are kind of murky, yeah, so The other thing is we, um, we used a yeast called Dry Hop. That's the name of the yeast, which uh, the guys at Imperial gave us when we did a podcast there right. a while back. So we use that. It's a yeast we haven't used, and it's designed, I think, to make these New England IPAs. It um, really... Speaking of New England IPAs, this is like orange juice, yeah. the, the smell. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Grapefruit juice, it's just... They're very... Wow. Uh, they're very turbid. They're, I got to tell you, this is an ugly style of beer, and I'm still not I sure... I like it. Uh, well, I'm not with you on that, man. God bless you. Give I, me, give me murky. Yeah, they are, they are murky. I'm all got it. <laughs> I like a good bright beer too, but yeah. Uh, this this aroma is just out of this world. Yeah, it's pretty intense. All right, so um, they're both murky. They're both uh, sort of straw to amber, but one is definitely lighter than the other. Yeah, and what is up with that? Because it's the same wort or uh, you know same beer that we dry hopped. So yeah. one of them, I guess, dropped a little bit brighter, which. I am going to guess has something to do with the way that these 
oils and stuff bound to the yeast to keep that in suspension because it, it'll Look, be more it'll be more you, mr chemist yeah it'll be more pale the reason the one is darker is because there's less yeast in there reflecting light back to us right there's so less stuff in suspension but... yeah there's more stuff in suspension in one and All it's right. the only other variable there is one has lupulin powder and one doesn't okay so i don't detect any real difference in aroma okay so here we go but i do detect difference in Color. Color. And now Which I'm is test. really surprising. <laughs> I would have guessed appearance would have been the same. Hold on. Which one are you going for here? Um, numerical order, of course. You are an economist. What, yeah. <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> so that was one. Okay. Mm. That's not bad. <laughs> you, we, you do actually have to... Uh, inform the reader that it's not bad because our homebrew sometimes is. Well, yeah, <laughs> that was that was <laughs> that was the first comment. Yeah, hey, oh, that's not yeah, terrible. Yeah, all right. Uh, by the way, uh, and maybe it's just my my mind playing tricks because of the color. But one is the lighter one, and it tastes more. Ye it tastes yeasty to me. I mean, it, I feel like I'm tasting yeast in suspension. Here, try it. Mm -hmm. So that might. I mean, they're both a little yeasty, actually. Okay, I've tried the first one. They do have a little subtle difference in uh, flavor and, or aroma intensity, I think. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good observation. I think you're right about that yeastiness. Mm -hmm. And which one do you think is more intense or aromatically? Number one? I think so. The one that has more yeast. But the flavors are very similar. I mean, the hot flavors. However, I'm going to declare number two the champion. Number two is the champion. Number two is the champion. Um, I uh, describe what you're telling me. I think it has slightly brighter hot flavor, and I think it's um, uh, has less yeast. This is the darker one, so less of a little of a yeasty taste. Um, so it's kind of a more, more uh, pure pale with the really bright hop. And yeah, from the, can you, since we're, we're really focused on is the hops, can you distinguish anything difference in the hops? Any? I think, I think two is, has a slightly brighter, sharper hop, mm -hmm. hop profile. Yeah. All right. Um, the big reveal. So which one switch? Uh, Number one is the lupulin powder. Ah, okay. So you're a traditionalist, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> but that's interesting. So the lupulin powder might do something with the with the yeast to keep the yeast in suspension. Um, by the way, the, the differences are very subtle. So They are pretty subtle. And uh, after I did this, I mentioned on social media or maybe even on my blog what I did. And people pointed out that <laughs> that thing that I just read, it's a uh, lupulin powder is a... Uh, a purified concentration so I did two ounces of each and um, people pointed out that the lupulin powder is, is concentrated so I ah. probably shouldn't it's probably not a one to one well but it's a good place to start I yeah. don't regret it no too. but I'm saying in the result though yeah you, you can't even tell you can't tell yeah it's very difficult to tell so interesting yeah we're getting um, not not enormous uh, I, I don't know I don't <laughs> The big reveal happened on online, so or live, but live me, on but podcast. But let me just think so. about because I wasn't here when you did it, so you just dumped the powder straight in. I put it in a in a hop sack. Oh, 
Okay. And yeah. does it expand? I mean, is it, oh, is yeah. it contained by the hop sack? It is. Weirdly. Okay. Right. Yeah. There was a there was a little bit of um, escaping, but very little. It kind of, you know. Oh, all right. Yeah, it, it stayed fairly well contained, and and I did um, uh, a couple of times rouse it. Uh, so we're really crude. I don't even want to tell how. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you probably shouldn't say anymore. Um, let, let, let the listener imagine this elaborate, very sophisticated yes. uh, brewing process. Right. Um, <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it, and then and then dispense with that because that's not what I did. But um, uh, you know. Anyway, um, I did try to make sure that I, I got some of the the beer flowing through the, the sacks right. to make sure that we got some of that good stuff out of there. Yeah, I, I don't even bother, by the way, when I do it. <laughs> All right, so uh, we don't have any mail this week. This is sad, this month. Um, well, I know. it's because We have been... We've fallen on hard times in terms of our keeping our schedule, and I think that's uh, yeah. Well, Mr. International Traveler is. Oh, do not blame it on me. <laughs> one week. Uh, I tried to get away with it. Yeah, uh, but you do have a beer sherpa recommendation, so let's hear it. Yeah. Uh, so there's a brewery called Colima, which I believe is actually a town or a state in Mexico, um, and this is one of the breweries that was at the fest, mm-hmm. and they made a pilsner, mm-hmm. and. You know me well enough to know that when I see a Pilsner, I almost always get it because... Uh, I love a good Pilsner. I love a good Pilsner, and it's a really good way to, to judge a, a brewery's um, skill and accomplishment. You know, you can tell a lot about a brewery by their Pilsner. And it was an amazing Pilsner. I declared it in the spot one of the best Pilsner that I'd, Pilsners I'd had. I considered it a world-class Pilsner. Wow. I don't know if that was just because I was buoyed by the experience. I <laughs> so was that like your 10th beer in? Or? <laughs> no. And it, no, it wasn't. It was, the it was early on, which was one oh, good okay. thing. Yeah. So your head was clear. Good. My head was clear, although I was you know, excited about the Mexican beer I was drinking. But it, was, um, it, has, uh, it has what you want in a Pilsner. It has a very crisp... Uh, um, uh, uh, wonderful lager quality. It had no, um, uh, none of the um, uh, kind of rough uh, sulfur you sometimes find, which I actually like, but it, this, was, this didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, had a wonderful malt quality. It was quite rich. And then the hops were um, also fairly assertive. That it, wasn't, it wasn't a really bitter beer, but um, it was... Uh, like a, a German style pilsner that had nice nice dose of hops, mm-hmm. which you could find in Germany, but it's, it would be a little bit hoppy for a German pilsner, and it just harmonized perfectly. It was really crisp, perfect beer. It was uh, really yeah. Nice. I was gonna say. I mean, uh, I'm kind of into the light lagers anyway, but if I'm down in Mexico, sitting on a beach, hopefully warm and sunny, maybe not your experience, but. Uh, but that's the kind of beer I'm looking for, and maybe something different than a Corona or a Modelo. Or, yeah. So that would be great if if they really uh, rock those styles. I had a number of beers that I really, really liked, and I'm going to do a blog post and talk about those beers. Okay. So all the breweries that um, did not just now get mentioned, um, uh, obviously I was an admirer of Lobo, and, and uh, there were other beers, the Canaria beer I mentioned, and, and um, probably another six or eight beers that I really admired. So come to Birvana to see that. By the way, I'm about to launch... I'm announcing it now. Oh. This has never been happened. This is, we've never... Uh, Do I know about this? 
you don't. Well, you may or may not know about this. Let's find out. <laughs> because neither of us can remember what we've said. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> We're of that certain age. Yeah. Uh, I'm about to shift my beer blog to a new URL. Ah. Uh, and I have a new you design. You did this to me. Okay, did I? So we're going to go from a blog spot, which uh-huh. is like way old and crude. Hey, I'm a blog spot. Uh, yeah, I know. Shut and up. you are way old and crude. Uh, I am old and wise and um, like well-aged, like a good tequila or something. Patrick, uh, when we were, before we were kegging and we were only bottling, Patrick would use 22-ounce bottles because he couldn't be bothered to do as many and 12 ounces and he didn't even remove the labels because he couldn't be bothered to do that it's called efficient he is uh, this is the word efficient is efficient it's a a big uh, it's a big name in uh, his uh, or it's a big word he uses a lot to uh, describe the shortcuts he takes to to hide my flaws (laughs) yeah anyway it will be birvanablog.com so, awesome. Yeah. And sweet. it's going to be new design and it should be up in the next week. And in fact, I think you even gave me a peek of the design and it looks pretty sweet. Yeah, I think it's good. It's got like modern things where like you scroll in the picture underneath it. And I'm like, wow, that's... Parallax scrolling, my friend. Oh, yes. Yeah, the big time. In 15 years when I change it, they're going to look back and say, oh my God, you saw Parallax scrolling? That was so mid-20s. That's cool, though. Yeah. Uh, uh, Chris McC- McClellan designed the thing and helped me out with that, and um, so I appreciate that. Also, I want to say, uh, plug my book. It just was released. My book dropped, The Secrets of Master Brewers, Buy it at your finest, finer booksellers now. At some point, maybe we can do a blog or a podcast on that. I'd like to do that. I we dedicated should. it to my two homebrew partners, which includes you. So you're implicated in this whole thing. Oh, seriously? Sweet. Yeah. But you don't even give me a book. I will give you a book. I still have to buy No, I'll buy a book. I'm, I, I, I so you can have your 20 cents. By the way, we get like a buck. We have actually brewed twice from that book. It's true. We brewed an IPA and then we brewed our lager, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, well, congratulations on that. That looks um, like a really cool book. Thank uh, you. And um, everyone should run and buy it. And when they're buying that one, they should also just tag on the uh, um, the beer bible and uh, cider made simple. It's true. And so more people should buy cider made simple. Nobody's buying that book. And, and you should throw I'm in really the beer tasting tool book, book toolkit. In may, there as well. May not be in print, so Ooh. be careful about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, gotta rush out and get the last That's ones right. while, they're, while they're still while they're still available. Collectors' items. Ooh, there you go. Secondary market. Don't we'll buy. Get, I don't care about secondary market. That doesn't do me any good. Well, if you've hoarded them, it does. You gotta have your little cash in the basement of all your. (laughs) Okay, so it's called uh, Secrets of the Master Brewers. Yes, it's from some story publishing. Story publishing, and uh, it's in bookstores now. And at some point, I should put that to the script so that we start advertising. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, it's not here. I know. That's all right. So we better get out of here because now it's getting silly. Uh, Thanks very much for listening to the podcast. A few words. Few words going out about how to contact us. Jeff blogs at Beervana and at All About Beer. Wait a minute, I thought you took that out. Now you just write for All About Beer. Yeah, that is more. You can't decide. I gotta update. I gotta update the script. Oh, it's getting worse and worse. We better get out of here quick. Uh, he tweets at... Thank at, God for Enrique. Good he still, quality. He still tweets at, at tweets at, at Birvana. I can, I can verify that. And there is the Beer, the Birvana blog, soon to be Birvana.com. Yeah. Wait a minute. You got Birvana.com? No, Birvana blog. Oh, Birvana. Okay. Yeah. Birvana blog.com. Got to make that clear. Uh, 
I beer it. I blog. No, I don't. <laughs> I beer it blog. I beer it. Going out with a whimper. I beer at blogonomics, and I tweet at beeronomics. I don't actually blog much at beeronomics. Sorry, it's uh, true. I'm trying. Uh, I do tweet every once in a while, so you can do that. But yeah. the most important thing is you should get in touch with us. Uh, email at the underscore beer acts at yahoo.com. Speaking of old man, yahoo.com. Well, really? Seriously? At, and it, we're going to get to update that. It's going to be Sweet. Jeff at beervanablog.com. Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Beervana blog Facebook page. By the way, as the father of a teenager, Facebook, come on. Like, we're st- this is so 10 years ago. Well, what do we do then? <laughs> where, where should we be? What are the kids? What are the kids? Uh, the kids are on Instagram and Snapchat. Ah, well, I'm on Instagram. And some other things that I don't even understand. Uh, Find me on Instagram. All right, so please send us your questions or comments. Uh, ideas for future <laughs> future pods would be good because uh, we're running out. No, actually, we have plenty of ideas. We just don't have enough time. Uh, I'm going to choose number... What do I have? Number two. Ooh, that's my favorite. Number two. Uh, all right. I'm By the way, which one do I get to take home? Number one or number two? Uh, number... T- uh, you, get, you get number two. Sweet. Yeah. All right. We, it's in, we, it's in your we split our kegs. Okay. All right. Cheers, Chef. Cheers.